We're going to begin our worship this evening by singing to God's praise. We're singing in Psalm 40 in the Scottish Psalter at the beginning of the psalm. Psalm 40, page 259. We're going to sing from verse 1 to the end of double verse 5. And the tune is Balerma. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the mighty clay, and on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. We'll sing from verse 1 to the end of double verse 5 to God's praise. <clears throat>
We come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to, to worship you this evening. We come to offer up our praise and our thanksgiving to you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. We have sung in the psalm there of the many wonders that you have done for us. They are more than we can number. And we thank you, Lord, that the more we look in our lives, the more we see every reason we have to give thanks to you, that you are a God who remembers us in, in all our needs, from the very practical things of our day-to-day -day lives. You, you have provided for us even anew this day the opportunity to be gathered uh, together in worship, uh, the peace that we have enjoyed of this day, the, the food that we have received, the food uh, on our tables, the food that we enjoy day by day, even the air that we breathe around us, Lord, and the fact that we can go uh, to receive so much from our cupboards or from running water and all the different privileges that we so often take for granted. There are so many things that we have just to our hand, to our fingertips today. And yet we do not realize, Lord, that every good and perfect gift is from above. And as a people, Lord, we become so forgetful. We forget of what we once were. We forget how little we once had, maybe. Even as a people in our own islands, Lord, we are being reminded in these days and in these weeks of a time in our own history as a people, when many were forced to leave our islands and to depart to other lands. As we are reminded of that in this coming week, Lord, we recognize all the experiences that our people have come through, down through the generations, and how much, Lord, maybe we have forgotten of that, and how much even today that we experience because of the sacrifice of so many. But above all, Lord, you have provided for us, not just for the practical things, but for the spiritual things of our life. Our greatest need of all is to know that joy, that peace, that hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And again, how forgetful we come, can become of all that's been done for us to purchase that all that's been done for us to bring us to know uh, the gospel and the hope that there is in there. The fact that you sent your son into this world, the fact that you gave him not just to come and live in this world, but uh, to come and lay down his life for his people. The fact that, even as we have remembered in this past week too, the, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, but on the third day, he rose again. We thank you, Lord, for that wonderful gift that you have given to us in the midst of the darkness of Calvary, in the midst of the grave, in the midst of all the sorrow and sadness that your people felt then, that the morning of the third day brought that great joy of the resurrection. And we thank you that in this life, no matter what comes, in this life, O oh Lord, no matter what we experience, that to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our God gives us a security for today and a hope for the future as well. And so we pray, Lord, that you will help us not to take things for granted, but to realize how precious all the things that we have are, how precious the people around us are, how precious 
a place we are in, how precious life is, and above all, how precious your gospel is. And may your gospel speak to us. May it minister to us anew this evening as we hear it, as we share from it, as we sing praise to your name. May all that we do be to your glory and for our good, that it will bring us closer to you, reminding us even as we go on into this week all that we have to give thanks for and to make us a people who are more willing and able to share that hope with others, to recount the ways that you have worked, to even recount the ways that we have experienced your goodness, that we have tasted and seen the goodness of God, and that we would be a people, Lord, who would be salt and light to all around us. And so we pray, Lord, you would bless us. We pray that as we gather here this evening, as we continue in fellowship throughout this evening, that your spirit be with us, that we would be encouraged and built up in our faith. We thank you for one another, Lord. We do pray your blessing on us as a people, as a, a congregation here of your people, as homes and families represented both here and online as well as we join together in this time of worship. We do pray your blessing on us as a people, every home and family, but also every neighbor and friend around us, Lord, upon our whole town and our island as a whole as well, that we would know days of your favor, days of your blessing. We know, Lord, that uh, our islands and indeed our nation is in so much disarray, so many living in fear and anxiety and worries of so many different kinds. We even think of our own islands just now and uh, the impact that political decisions may have on our communities. Discussions going on just now regarding so many different aspects of our lives and of uh, all the freedoms that we enjoy, all the privileges that are ours. We think of the fear and worry for our fishing communities and the marine community all around us just now when so many proposals are being put forward that there are threats towards our communities at this time, very livelihoods may be being lost. And we pray for wisdom in these things. We pray, Lord, your help towards families who are concerned and anxious about these things. We pray when people feel they have no voice that you would give us a voice in the midst of it all help us to speak with wisdom, but also, Lord, to bring these to you in prayer, knowing that you are the one who is able to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. So, Lord, we pray for wisdom in our communities and in our nation at this time, from the very leadership around us, Lord, for those who rule over us, to be guided by your hand. We do continue to pray for them, that they would know your blessing, that they would come to know you in that very personal and, and intimate way, to rule us according to your word, that your word would not be seen as a disgrace or an embarrassment for our nation and for our people, but it be seen as the very roots of our nation, the very thing that we are to build ourselves upon, the knowledge of God and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And we pray that our nation would become bold and confident once more, in your word and in your truth. We do pray, Lord, for our communities then as a whole. We pray for our young people. We pray for them as they go back to school in these coming days and, and university as well with exams approaching and the worries that that brings. We pray, Lord, for 
a calmness towards all the pupils who will be sitting exams and teachers and students alike, Lord, to know your blessing and your grace and your mercy. We pray for those in our communities busy at this time with lambing and calving and other aspects of our day-to-day life. We know it's a tiring time of year for so many, a busy time in so many ways. We pray for strength and help in the midst of all of that as well. We thank you for the good weather experienced in the whole over these past few weeks, and we pray for you to continue to watch over all who need you in these ways as well. We pray, Lord, comfort and blessing for those who are mourning, for those who are going through periods of ill health and confined to homes or hospital at this time. We do pray, Lord, for you to surround them with your goodness, to know your mercy day by day, to know your grace and your peace upon them. So we pray, Lord, for your church. We pray for your kingdom to come in power. We pray not just for a vision for our own denomination as we think of meetings this week, but for the vision of the church throughout the world. We thank you that you have given us that great vision. And as you spoke to Peter so long ago, that you said you would build your church upon that rock and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So we continue to pray, Lord, your kingdom to come in power, your word to go out mightily today and in all the days ahead to convict and to convert the soul that lies in sin. So we pray forgiveness for all our sins, thankful for the mercy that we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ, that with him is forgiveness and plenteous of it. So, Lord, hear our prayers as we confess our sins anew. Lord, forgive us and receive our thanks and all our praise as we ask all things with looking to the name of Jesus, the name above every name, as we ask it in the name of Jesus, for his sake and glory. Amen. We're going to continue to sing to God's praise. This time we're singing in Psalm 17 in the Sing Psalms version. (coughs) Page 17 of the Psalm books. Psalm 17 at verse 1, we sing down to verse 6, and the tune is Dennis. Lord, hear my righteous plea, and listen to my cry. It does not rise deceitfully or come from lips that lie. Declare me innocent and vindicate my name. Lord, may your eyes see what is right and free me from all blame. We'll sing from verse 1 to verse 6 to God's praise.
Well, we turn to God's Word. We're going to read together in the New Testament, Paul's letter to Titus on chapter 3. Paul's letter to Titus in chapter 3, towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to read the whole of chapter 3 together. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of, the re of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I say, send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Senas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And may God bless that reading from his word. I will again sing to God's praise before we turn back to look at that passage. We're going to sing in Psalm 33 in the Scottish Psalter, page 245, and at verse 6 to verse 11, the tune is The heavens by the word of God did their beginning take, and by the breathing of his mouth he all their hosts did make. The waters of the seas he brings together as an heap, and in storehouses as it were he layeth up the deep. We'll sing from verse 6 to 11 to God's praise.
Well, we can turn back to our reading in Titus, in chapter 3, read again at verse 4. Titus chapter 3, reading at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And so on. The goodness of God, it says here, appeared. And it also says that in verse 11 of chapter 2. If you look at that verse, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So there's this recurring cutting phrase, the goodness of God appearing, the grace of God appearing. And you also see another phrase that repeats itself throughout the chapter we read, and also at the end of chapter 2 as well in verse 14. It speaks about being zealous for good works, and that's again a phrase repeated a few times throughout chapter 3 as well. So there's these two things that are connected, the grace of God, the goodness of God appearing, uh, that's the salvation that there is in Christ Jesus, and being zealous and looking to be doing good works. That's what Paul is writing to Titus about, to encourage him and other Christians in their time to be a people who live in remembrance of the fact that God has shown his goodness, shown his mercy to us, but to remember that that's with a purpose for us as well, to be a people zealous for good works. He gives them these promises, a reminder of promises that are precious for all of God's people. And this evening we're going to be looking at three kinds of aspects of this promise that Paul, the Lord, is giving through Paul to Titus and to the church at that time, and the same that is true for ourselves today as well. Promises. Promises are a precious thing. And our letterboxes, our televisions, they're always filled with promises. Promises of a better and a brighter future. Promises of change. Promises of products, maybe foods or products that are going to be life-changing. Always we see political promises coming through our doorsteps or onto our television screens. Trust in me and we will have a better future together. But how are these promises fulfilled? How can they be fulfilled? Have they been fulfilled in the past? Will they be fulfilled in the future? When we hear these promises and see these promises that come to us so often, there's always a sense of uncertainty because these promises have often been made in the past and they failed to bring these promises to fruition. So we have this sense of uncertainty, this sense of doubt. Will it really happen? Can it really make a difference in our life? So wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to have someone to come to us who we can listen to and be assured of what they are saying to us, that the promises that they are giving to us are real, are true, are fulfilled in many ways, so that we ourselves could go to someone and hear them saying to us, this is a message that is guaranteed. These are promises that will never fail, they'll never be broken. Well, that is what Paul is instructing Titus to do. I'm sure their community, their people of Titus and Paul's day, they were people 
who were hearing many different promises from many different people. And yet Paul is reminding Titus of what he has and the promises that have been given to them through God, the promises that are secure in Christ Jesus, promises that will never be broken. It's this message that they have that is present and current for their day as it is for our day. It's for today. It's a message that had evidence of fulfillment in the past, promises that had already been fulfilled, and a message that gave a real future and a hope for the future and of future fulfillment of all of these promises. And so what is at the heart of the promise that Paul is giving to Titus and for the people then and for ourselves today? Well, it's this promise that is found in the mercy of God, the goodness of God, that what verse 4 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Promise fulfilled by this precious Savior. It's the message that we have. It's the message that Titus was bringing to his people then. It's the message that as believers today we have ourselves, that this is true for us. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared. The promise of God has been fulfilled and that he sent him to save us, not because of works done by us, but according to his own mercy. That is the promise that we have. But what do we do with this promise? If you think of Titus in his own day as Paul was writing this letter to encourage him to keep going and to keep sharing this message, it was still in the midst of a people who were turning against him, who weren't interested, who, who could, couldn't be convinced in many ways just by them hearing it for themselves. They needed more in many instances. But it's to have confidence. Even people are so absorbed in other things to be confident in this message. Not because it's our message, but it's God's message to a people who need to hear it. To be confident in what we have and what we are in Christ. And that's what we're thinking about this evening when we are a Christian people, when we are a people who have trusted in the Lord, that we have to remember these things and to hold fast to these things, to be convinced of these things. If we hope to be witnesses to others around us, we have to believe and hold on to these promises, assured that we are confident in them, that they are and will be fulfilled because they are all through Christ Jesus. How many of you today, as you sat down for your dinner, you sat down and you ate potatoes with your dinner in one way or another? Even through the week, I'm sure, over the course of a week, perhaps every one of us in here tonight has eaten potatoes in some way or another. Mashed potatoes and gravy with a roast, fish and chips, even a pack of crisps or something like that, they all come from the humble potato. It's a part of our day-to-day -day lives. So often we have potatoes, and it's hard for us maybe to think that at one point potatoes were, they were to be pushed away. 
People were not interested in them. They weren't popular at all. In fact, they caused quite a stir. When the potato first came to the United Kingdom, it was back in the late 16th century, and people viewed them with suspicion. Uh, People who were in high places, royalty and the rich, they wouldn't look at it. They mocked it. It was seen as maybe just a food for the poor or for animals. It was even preached against by ministers. People were saying that this was a threat to people's health, that it just brought illness and even death. And yet today, it's such an important part of our nation's life. When so many people rely and eat potatoes so often. But what happened? How was it once so unpopular and now is so popular? Well, those who believed there was a good answer for people's, to meet people's needs, uh, to meet people's uh, food needs, to satisfy that great need, they had confidence that this could fulfill it, even though there was so much opposition against it. So we think nothing of it today. We see it so often. But it took people to stand up for and to keep promoting it in order for it to become so popular. In so many ways, the gospel is like that too. It's so unpopular in so many ways. People are not interested in it. They want nothing to do with it. They see it as a threat. No interest in hearing any more about it. Certainly not having any impact in our public life, maybe for people's private lives they can have it, but no, we don't want it. And so how do we keep going with it? We keep encouraging ourselves that this is what everyone needs. This is what can make all the difference in people's lives. This is what can satisfy the greatest need of all, the greatest hunger of all people. That is to satisfy our soul and to remind us that there is hope for now and for eternity. But it's for us as God's people to have confidence in it, to be assured of it, to believe all that it's saying to us. And that's what Paul is writing to Titus about. And so there's three things I want us to think about from this passage tonight. To make us think about as we think ourselves of how we can be zealous for good works ourselves how we can be zealous to those who are around us, reminded of what we believe in, reminding ourselves of the goodness of God that has appeared, that has saved us, not by our own righteousness, but by his mercy. And to remind ourselves in this way of three things, what we were, what we are, and what we will be. That's the three things I want us to take from this passage as Paul is highlighting to Titus here. What we were, what we are, and what we will be. And that these three things would encourage us to good works ourselves. So the first thing is this, what we were. One of the biggest problems with people, people face as they make their way through life is so many people forget where they've come from. They forget their beginnings, they forget their upbringings, they forget their backgrounds, they forget all their experiences and hardships, perhaps, of growing up. And it can be true in every walk of life. 
In the world of politics, sport, and celebrity culture, you maybe see it there so often. People who have had maybe hard upbringings, but they've forgotten all about that once they reach a position of power and a position of wealth. They forget what they were. But the same is true in ordinary life as well. We often forget maybe hardships that we had. We often forget experiences that we've gone through, and we end up treating others in the same way as we felt mistreated too. We forget what we were. And that's a danger always for the Christian too. And in our witness to others around us, it's a danger to forget what we were. And Paul is reminding Titus here of what they were. If we are going to be witnesses among those who are still caught up in every foolish way of life in this world, foolish disobedience, various passions, as he's speaking of here in verse 3, we, he speaks of disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures. He speaks of all of these things, but he says it in this way. For we ourselves were once foolish. He says, we don't forget what we were. Because if we forget what we were, then we're not truly able to tell others what we are and what our hope is. What we were is so important not to forget. It's easy for us to become angry, impatient, frustrated with unbelievers who act in foolish and selfish ways. It's easy for us to react with anger and frustration. But we remember that we were once like that too. We remember that we were once ourselves, foolish, disobedient, led astray. We remember who it is that is at work in them that was once at work in us, as Paul speaks to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He blinded our minds in the past. But the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So we don't forget. We don't forget what we once were. Unbelievers, as Paul is saying here, living for themselves, that's all they can do because they know nothing else. In your life and my life, has there not been a time when we were like that? Living for ourselves, what we once were, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. All of these things can apply to us. Before we met Christ, we lived in that way. And so we never should never forget what we once were. Keeping in mind how we used to be will enable us to treat those around us who are strangers to grace to treat them with mercy, to treat them with compassion, to treat them with love, because they are in the shoes that we once were. They are in the very place that we once were. But 
by the grace of God go I, as someone once famously said. And so we never forget what we once were. That's what we want to hold on to. If we are to be a people of good works, we hold on to that. You think of every aspect of life and leadership and authority over us. It's when people forget what they once were, what they once stood for, what they once held important. When they start to forget their upbringing, their background, that's when things begin to slide. And so is the same for the Christian. We want to turn our back on sin, but we don't forget that that was the way we lived, that that is the way we were. So why is verse 3 so important for us here? Well, because Paul himself includes himself here too. He reminds us we ourselves were once foolish. No one here tonight could say, oh, but that wasn't me. I was never that foolish. I was never that bad. We were all fools. We were all people who wandered away from God. You know, as you listen to the gospel of Isaiah 53, what does that tell us? It tells us the enormity of what Christ had to come and do for us. Surely it says he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Then he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've all done it. We've all gone away. But God has brought us back. So we never forget what we once were. In order to reach the lost, we have to hold that in our minds constantly. Otherwise, we will just judge. We will look down on them. But we remember that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray all of these things. But then we remember now what we are. What we are. What changed us and what is able to change others that we are to be witnesses to around us? Well, we come to a word there in verse 4, a word that we see often in Scripture, a small word that makes such a great difference. And that's the word at the beginning of verse 4. But we were once foolish. But then you come into verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. It's a wonderful word. It's used as well in Ephesians chapter 2. In that passage, that speaks about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins at the beginning of chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Again, it's what we once were. But then you come to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, and again it's this word that makes all the difference. But God, being rich in mercy. But God 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Why can we say that we are different now? What has made the difference for us? Well, we're reminded it's not what we have done. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not but God saw that I improved myself, that I got better, that I tried harder. It's none of that. What is it then? It's but the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. It is him that has made all the difference. It is in him we can stand now and say, this is what I am in Christ. I am saved, not through my righteousness. None of that counts. So then how? How am I saved? Well, he goes on to tell us, not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy. Isn't it wonderful to have that difference in our lives? What we once were, we were foolish, but the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared and has saved us, and it is all of his mercy. When we look at promises in this world, and when we think of any promise that someone makes to us, when is that promise realized? Whether it's a promise an individual makes to us, or a promise a politician makes, or whatever promise it is, when is it realized? When that promise is achieved. But when you look at the promises of God, you see that it's not just when the Savior appeared that this promise is fulfilled. The promise was from of old. The promise was from the very beginning. The promise was being spoken of right through the Old Testament. The promise that a Savior would come. Even as Jesus met with the woman of Samaria at the well, as he spoke to her there, she said to him, we know that Messiah is coming. We know that there is a promise for us. The promise was coming. And we here we are reminded, he has come. God, our Savior, appeared. Just as it says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The promise has been fulfilled. From of old it was certain, it is fulfilled in Christ, and it will forever hold fast through him. And we are reminded of that so often throughout the Scriptures. This promise was for us even when we were lost. Just like Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 5, he says this in verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What great love he had for us. What great love he had for sinners such as we are. And what was this love? It was by his mercy. 
he showed mercy when we deserved justice, when our sins deserved condemnation. He showed mercy. He showed grace. The goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. And where do we see that? Where do we see it all culminate? We see it at the cross. We see it there when we see the goodness and mercy of God that did not spare his own son. We may not understand it. We may not fully realize just how powerful it is. But again and again, the scriptures remind us that but by the mercy of God, we are lost. And so we remember now what we are. We remember now what we are through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by his mercy. We are saved by his mercy. And that's what we see when we look to the cross at Calvary. But then thirdly, we see here too. We see what we once were, we see what we once, what we now are, and thirdly, we see what we will be. Because he goes on to say about the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's these two things that go hand in hand here. Justified, we are justified by his grace, and we are heirs of this promise according to the hope of eternal life. What we will be. So as we think of the promises that God gives us. We are reminded not to forget what we once were. That helps us to share. What we have now, what we are now in Christ, that helps us to share with others as well. But when we think of promises, so much of it has to do with change into the future. Promises of hope for a future, as we heard this morning in Jeremiah, the plans, the promises to prosper us and not to harm us, the plans that we're looking to the future, here they are as well. The future for the Christian is bright. The future for the Christian is life because we are justified now and we are heirs to the promise of eternal life in the future. Every promise for the Christian is secure in Christ for he will never let us go. But as we think of this message and as we think of the promises of this world, when we think of the many promises that are offered to us that we struggle to believe and have confidence in, all the promises that we hear about a, a new future, a better future for ourselves as a nation or as a people that this world will offer us, we have our doubts. But do we doubt the promise of the gospel? Do we doubt the promises of the past? No, they've been fulfilled. Do we doubt the promises for today? No, they're ours in Christ. But what about the promise of the future? 
Well, they are secure in Christ too. Because he says we are justified. We are made right with God. And when we are made right with God, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's something that's still to come. But we are heirs to it. Our names are down for that. As we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are heirs to that promise. We await his return when we will claim and have that promise fulfilled for us once and for all. And so that is what we will be. That is what we will be when the day comes. We have hope for now, but we have hope for eternity. And when you think of what it is we have to offer those around us, we have hope of eternal life. And what does that mean? Well, someone put it like this, it's more beautiful than any mind can conceive. Everybody's looking for a better, a brighter future, but the gospel offers it to us in abundance. And someone highlighted four points of the promises of the brighter future for the Christian. Revelation 21 speaks of something far better, a beautiful place that no mind can conceive. Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, he speaks of being at home with the Lord, which is better by far. Revelation 21 speaks about being free from pains and sorrows and sufferings and tears of this life and the fulfillment of our Lord's promise to his people in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. There is a promise of what is ahead, the promise of eternal life. We have these three things to remember. What we once were. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray. We don't forget that because that makes us more zealous to good works. We don't forget what we are, but the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared to save us. We don't forget that because that's the hope that we offer to all around us as well. And we don't forget what we will be because, again, that gives hope for a future. Hope for all eternity, justified now, made right with God, but heirs to eternal life. The hope of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. And how do we know all these things? Well, as we call on God, we put our trust in God. It's through mercy and not by our righteousness. So we call on God. And maybe you're here tonight. This has been a reminder to those who are Christians mainly. 
of what we were, what we have, what we will be. But if you're not trusting in the Lord tonight, and if you're thinking, how can I know these promises myself? Well, it's to come and put your trust in him. There was a sign in a textile mill. And the sign was up on the wall in a prominent place. And the sign said this, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. A young woman had started her new job in this mill and her thread became tangled on her first morning. And she was afraid of this, what would happen if she maybe started telling the foreman that she'd messed up already on her first day at work. So she thought, I'll straighten this out myself. I'll fix this mess myself. She tried. But the situation only worsened. And finally, she called the foreman. And she said to the foreman as he came over, I did the best I could. And the foreman replied, no, you didn't. To do your best, you should have called me. We so often live with that mindset. I'll fix this mess myself. I'll work things out. My own righteousness will eventually come good. That's not going to save us. What we need is the mercy of God. And that is the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior that has appeared. He has come. And what do we need to do tonight? Not sort the mess out ourselves, but call the foreman. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's the hope that we have. That's the promise of the gospel. We were once lost, but we can be saved. And may we come to know the mercy of God and share that mercy with those around us. May God bless his word to us. We're going to conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 131, in the Sing Psalms version, Psalm 131 on page 173. We're going to sing the whole of this psalm, the three verses. My heart's not proud, O Lord, nor haughty, is my eye. I do not occupy myself with things too great or high. My spirit I have calmed, my heart is pacified. My soul is like a little child close to its mother's side. So Sandra reminds us not to become proud and haughty, but to come and rest in the, in the peace of the Lord. We sing the whole of this psalm to God's praise.
After the benediction, I'll go to the door to my right. We'll close with the benediction. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.